All right. It is the top of the hour, and that means it's time for two-on-one, uh, the Internet's number one talk show in the middle of the day on Wednesday, wherein two disciples ministers talk to another theologically-minded person about the pop culture topic of his, her, or their choice. If this is two-on-one, that means I am your co-host, the Reverend Arthur Stewart. And I am your other co-host, the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. Arthur, happy last day of the joke that I just made was it, pride is like cats now and forever. Um, except for it's better than cats because cats is trash. But that's a different episode. Hey, deuces out there. If you want to come on and help me talk about cats or help us talk about cats, let's do that. Uh, I didn't mean to say that. Hey, well, no, it's okay. We we have our trash list. Like, it's like cats. <laughs> I don't like cats. Um, I mean, I love cats. I just don't like cats in the musical. Oh, that you like really... the movie? <laughs> no, I don't like anything about cats. I, I except for my own and your cats. So yes, and I do love my cats. Okay, so Spiff, it's the last day of Pride. I got you a gift. What did you get me? I, I would like I would like to challenge you to wear. I got you a wig that looks just like your hair used to look, and I'd like you to wear it for the first three weeks of Christmas in July coming up, but not the fourth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll do it. I can commit to that. That's that's a hint for our faithful viewers. Is Stephanie in what what state is, is Spiff in in both emotional and physical? <laughs> it's oh my gosh, I'm a little I feel like we just need to I feel like we need to just like deuces. We've re, we are gonna celebrate Christmas in July, as you know, next month, but I'm on sabbatical, and so we pre-recorded everything, and I got a haircut. And but we have, but we we really did do Christmas in July as a gift to you, our viewers and listeners. We've and a gift to us. I'm I'm not gonna lie; it was a true gift. We talked. We had some great conversations. Well, and we we even did an accidental twelve days of Christmas countdown for Whitney Wallers. It's Whitney's fourth appearance. Four Whitney Wallers, three. Quadri Harris. Three Quadri Harris. Two. two Carrie Tannehill. And uh, Laura Blackwood Pickerel is making her. And day. Laura Blackwood Pickerel. I don't know what the five golden rings is, but maybe it's five hot opinions about how cats is trash. <laughs> or uh, five opinions of Alan Rickman. Oh, or how about five sponsor plugs? We do have a sponsor. Ooh. That sponsor <laughs> is Jeff One Row Designs, now celebrating 16 years of making ordinary time extraordinary. Ooh, Jeff Wonder Designs does this by hand crafting liturgical textiles, professional uh, processional banners, seasonal banners uh, by Jeff Wonder, grace sanctuaries across the country, frontals and pyramids by Jeff Wonder Designs, adorn altars and lecterns in churches of all sizes. Are we doing the thing where we say Jeff Wonder Designs a bunch of times because we're sponsored by Jeff Wonder Designs? Apparently, because I'm just now reading the promo. So- <laughs> You know, but you know who does love Jeff Wonder Designs, Arthur? Who? Clergy of all shapes and sizes who are highly satisfied with their pastor soul, their deacon stoles and chasubles and copes and other vestments. And I am included in that. And you are included in that. Absolutely. Also, Jeff Wonder Designs makes miters. And of course, too, Jeff Wonder Designs includes Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, ELCA Lutheran, United Church of Christ, Disciples Church of Christ, Unitarian and Roman Catholic faithful among their satisfied clientele. Interfaith and non-denominational clergy love the inclusivity of Jeff Wonder Designs uh, designs. Yep. 
So whether you are shopping for the smallest altar accessory or reevaluating your entire collection of vestments and pyramids, Jeff Wenner Designs will be honored to work with you and create something really special and meaningful and perfect. You can check out Jeff Wenner Designs at Jeff, J-E-F-F. W-U-N-R-O-W, jeffonerow.com to see the full catalog of stoles, vestments, pyramids, banners, ordering information, customization possibilities. These stoles still steal the show. And since today is technically the last month of Pride Month, though, again, we celebrate and lift up and center uh, the LGBT community in everything that we do. Uh, Jeff has beautiful, and I've showed you Deuce's my stole, his beautiful uh, stoles for pride that you can get all year round. They're not just a seasonal thing for him because Jeff Winrow also is really inclusive and loving of all of his things. So if that interests you, if you need a new stole like I did, or just wanted a new stole like I did, if you have a uh, ordination anniversary coming up or a beloved is getting ordained or graduating, you can use the code two on one, all one word, all letters, not numbers at checkout. at Jeff. I wasn't saying hurry up. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Uh, at checkout, Jeff Wenner Designs will give you 15% off your entire stole order at checkout. So you can buy all of them. You could buy his whole catalog or and, you could buy one or a little. sure it's buy seven, get the eighth free with that. I know one day we'll do the math, but um, I don't think today is that day. Today's not so. the day because we have a great guest and we're talking Hercules, um, which is not the- a hero of this month and I love it. So I'm going to let in our guests, the Reverend Candace Simpson, you could have done so too, because you're co-host. Ooh, always now and forever. All right. Candace Simpson, welcome to two on one. Thank you for joining us today to talk Hercules. Holy smokes. Hercules. Candace, thank you for coming. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, but tell our, our deuces who is the fan base of this show, uh, who you are, what do you do and why Hercules? Hi everyone. My name is Candace Simpson. I'm a minister at the Concord Baptist church of Christ. And, um, I am a curriculum designer and podcaster at a site called fish sandwich heaven, which is, um, one of my home bases, um, but I love Hercules, and I actually went on my Twitter. I would do like a little advanced search to see how many times I've talked about Hercules on my Twitter explicitly, and you know it goes back pretty much as long as I've had a Twitter account. It's one of my favorite um, Disney movies. I am. I turned 30 this year, so I was part of the Disney Renaissance era with like. Lion King was, you know, central to us. A whole bunch of other, like, you know, wonderful Disney movies. But Hercules is my favorite for a good number of reasons. So, Which I love. And we will definitely explore because it, too, is... It's one of my top three favorite Disney movies. I'm a, I'm, I'm of that Disney Renaissance era as well. Um, I think Goofy Movie is also an underrated movie. Uh, <laughs> so good <laughs> so good uh which come on back we'll talk goofy movie i have a four-year-old niece that sings on the open road anytime she gets in the car because i'm doing my anti-work well and so <laughs> I, I do want to ask about that because I, this is fascinating to me i spiff you're a little bit older than i am but not very much i, I turned 38 two weeks ago so turned yeah. 38 two weeks ago i turned 37 in a few months and and, and candace happy belated 30th birthday <laughs> um I don't know if you wept as I wept on my 30th birthday, but if you did, you're in good company. Um, Hercules was, I I joked with Spiff 
uh, closeted Arthur did not understand his feelings about Hercules and therefore did not see the movie. But it was also like towards the end of my time in the Disney Renaissance, right? So mm. like I, Aladdin is where I landed very much. Um, Pocahontas was really where where I stopped for a while and Hercules, I believe, came after. I, I find it fascinating that Spiff, you've really fallen into it. And I wonder if that's the benefit of a couple years or if I'm just making up a theory out of nothing. So I don't know. Uh, Candace, how did you get into Hercules? Did you see it in theater? Like what what's your relationship to it? Um, so actually the thing about Disney movies is that, um, Disney is this major empire and it is one of the major corporations that, um, (laughs) has a hold on all of us. And that's not necessarily a great thing. I'm still trying to figure out my relationship to media produced by like really big corporations, um, trying to parse out my relationship to you know the nostalgia of it all and like looking back and seeing certain dynamics and being like oh this is making me really uncomfortable like i i can't watch pocahontas anymore i can't watch hunchback of notre dame like and so just parsing all that is is a thing but of course disney is this major empire that collaborates with other empires and so i will never forget as a child um, McDonald's, I think, was selling these like specialty plates, and they had like different. Um, I want to say like different characters from Hercules, and there was this plate just featuring the muses. I want to say it was McDonald's. If it wasn't McDonald's, it was another. You know, it's either McDonald's or Burger King because I can picture it. I know exactly. Yes, what yes. So they had these um, these plates, and it was just featuring the muses and. You know, now looking back on it, understanding myself today as a queer woman, I'm like, oh, I see why I was so obsessed with these beautiful Black women and like all these shapes, different hairstyles, like now understanding, oh, it was one of those like, I want to be them slash want to be with them kind of things. And um, my brother and I used to fight over who would, (laughs) who would be able to like have the plate on any given day. Eventually we fought over it and then the plate shattered. So um, that is like my strongest memory of Hercules and like all the like hype and promotion that comes with it. So yes, it was that plate. It was that plate. I need it. I need it. $90? Mm, $90 on eBay? (laughs) For the whole set. Oh, well. Well, it's a collector's item. I'm sorry to have interrupted. I just all of a sudden we're like on eBay now, being like, "This is an eBay show. This is an auction show uh, where we help (laughs) we help our guests get their childhood memory toys." (laughs) (laughs) But I like what you named about empire, and I think that that's really important because I think we, as the church, generally tend to sweep empire as part of the evil and the sin under the rug and not name it explicitly in lots of different places. Um, And I mean the church at large, obviously there are specific churches um, that do that and do that faithfully. Um, But talking about this, like, how do we uh, reconcile y'all these major, you know, empires that uh, mean so much to us emotionally, you know, like, to to pull it completely away may do more emotional harm than good because sometimes we need that nostalgia. Sometimes we need to 
to lean in and, and, and seek the comfort of different spaces in our memories or in our childhood or whatever, um, to a problematic extent, because they do tie us to something that, uh, manipulates and uses us for greed and things that we as the church do talk about and say like, oh, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to give your money, give to Caesar what is Caesar and all of that. But like, you know, we don't want to give our, our space to anyone that is undeserving. And so often, you know, um, we talked about this when we did Harry Potter in August, we like, I don't give money to, uh, anything that promotes JK Rowling's business anymore because she is a turf and no thank you hard pass and so um and yet harry potter means a lot to me as a person so what does i don't know how can the church maybe model that leadership of it is okay to love something um and to problematize it i i'm still trying to walk that line or toe that line i i think it 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 can get really ugly. Like, um, I think when it comes, since we're speaking about Hercules, I think one thing that we should be doing is um, to notice when it's just entertainment, if that, you know, is even a thing. And also to notice, like, when you're being hoodwinked, like when you're being bamboozled. Um, like, Hercules is an extreme Disney adaptation of the original myth. And um, I think the church could actually, like we could learn a lot from how Disney and empire has figured out how to twist the story and remove, you know, the elements they don't want to deal with. Um, Not as something to replicate, but as something to be mindful of like the original Hercules, like there's a lot of just, terrible like there's race in it um there's you know infidelity on top of the rape and sexual assault and like all kinds of like um what's the word deception and you know but disney can't tell that story so they have to you know come up with the characters of pain and panic who like give hercules this mortal solution that he has to drink and that's how they get around talking about sex, how they get around talking about rape, um, which makes sense because Disney is, you know, it's not the our whole lives curriculum. Like it's not going to teach you about the sex and sexual health. But, um, you know, I think it's a warning that we we choose what kind of light we want to see certain stories under and we do that all the time I mean we did that with Hamilton we did that with like if you listen to any news story about anything happening like we're always shifting the um just the flavor and the the actual like some of some people actually change the facts around which is you know more than just creative license so I think we should be mindful about where that shows up, even in our traditions. And if, you know, Disney is doing it, only imagine what the Christian church does with the 66 books that we say we inherited. And we know there are more. And we know, like, you know, there's been a whole bunch of editorializing and translating and mistranslating on purpose. So it's not without, it's not outside the realm of possibility that some of the stories we have are not completely as they happened, if they happen in the first place. 
we were just talking it reminds me of like of the Noah story, like how often we Disneyfy these biblical stories where it's like, oh, look at God giving you a rainbow. But like we we skim over the sea of corpses that this rainbow is covering. And, and we're going to um, call on the person who's doesn't know their ministry is to go to churches because every church has a mural of Noah's Ark and to paint corpses in the water. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. How do we how do we lean into into really uh, valuing the fullness of those stories? I did I did want to ask in this too, uh, and I, 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 Candace, it's a it's a brilliant point. I, something that I noticed with Hercules, yeah, they didn't do the whole like Hercules went crazy and killed his wife, and that's why he had to do the trials and all this stuff. Also, Hera was totally fine with Zeus. Um, you know, like okay. Uh, there's the something that I admire Disney in doing it is they're Disneyfying everything. There's not a Pocahontas is problematic. Mulan is more problematic. Uh, they they they're learning. Moana has been way better. Um, they they're playing with mythos. So the Eurocentric. I mean, Americans know Greek mythology because we act like that's the center of civilization, or that's the only center of civilization prior to everything else. Disney didn't treat it as if it is true. Um, the very opening line is back in a land, you know, far, a faraway land called ancient Greece. They might have well have said called Mars or called whatever other um, situation. So when we put, when we deal with scripture and it's uh, written for black and brown people by black and brown people, and it gets so eurified um, for lack of a better term, how do we, how do we treat it as isolated, but how do we also treat it as part of our narrative? That's an enormous question. I apologize. I mean, I, I don't think they knew that they were doing this, but I will say as a child, I was always drawn to the muses because they seemed to have a read of the story that no one else could have. And I, I don't know why. I mean, of course, I am a Hercules fan, so I've watched like all the be- behind the scenes um, footage of like the voice actresses like really getting a, a gospel-ish sound to the music, which is hard to do because it's not it's not gospel music. And um, I think is that Alan Menken who is the composer. I'm not sure who the composer is, but like it's it's definitely not like. <laughs> It's not Walter Hawkins and like James Cleveland and other black <laughs> gospel artists, you know, but I don't, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but how it read to me was, um, I want to say, is it Charlton Heston who is like the voice of God in the beginning? Like there's, there's some old white man in the beginning of the, the movie yeah, the narrator. And I want to say it's, I want to say it's him. It's I'm not sure. You're correct. Okay, there we go. There we go. See, you know, I know my white people voices. You got to. <laughs> but, but, but so there's like this moment where like he's getting ready to tell the story. And of course, I'm also remembering Charlton Heston from like Planet of the Apes and also like I think Ten Commandments and like other stuff. So I think that's the movie. But anyway, uh, definitely like Christian-ish media. And 
there's a moment where like he's telling the story so dry and flat and the muses just kind of like snatch the story and they introduce themselves and they're like, we are the muses, goddesses of the arts, proclaimers of heroes. And I always thought that was so badass. Like I always thought that there was something really magical happening as they basically kicked this old white man, you know, out of the story um, because perhaps he may have, his lens would have told the story in a way that benefits and, and amplifies his own worldview. You have these five muses who were all like, I mean, I thought it was really brilliant to style them differently, to give them different body types, to give them different hair. Like, you know, they have different personalities, but they're all kind of on sync and in harmony telling this story. And I think that's what it ought be. Like, I think we obsess over the classics or we obsess over, um, oh, you know, I, I'm not going to call any names because, you know, people get offended when you when you're underwhelmed by their favorite you know, theologian. But I'm just like, why are we so excited about the Charlton Hestons? Like, what? what is, what is that? It's not that, that the Charlton Hestons don't have, you know, a worldview that is worthwhile, but it's, we're saturated by it. We're overwhelmed by it. And even in the music that they sing, the lyrics that they're singing, it's not, it's not like completely celebratory. If you listen to some of the lyrics, they're actually pretty saddening. You know, Zero to Hero is like really, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a terrible story. <laughs> like way to talk about a quick ascent into influencerdom and like, you know, how quick you got all these sponsorships and have to do all these sponsored content, you know, like. How quick I mean, you your soul, yeah. Yeah, like he got, you know, he was an action figure. And um, so I I just, I, I don't think that the music would have slapped as hard if anyone else were singing it. So they really make the movie to me. They, uh, for me, and I, 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 I remember seeing this movie and thinking like, now, granted, as a white person, I didn't have the issue of like the princesses looked like me. So like I got that, but I was never one to be the princess. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I never felt like the story was mine or that I was the hero in these stories. And so I remember seeing Hercules and being like, these are people that know the story. And I wanted to be that. I wanted to know. I wanted to be the teller of tales. I wanted to yeah. know. I wanted I wanted to be a space of, you know, like the conduit of of of, of these narratives and, and, and these muses for body type and, you know, um, camaraderie and they weren't alone and they weren't like, so often the heroes are doing these things in a solo space. And I remember thinking like, well, you got like five friends or like four friends. Cause there's five, like being like telling the story, doing the thing, like knocking with each other. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's what it means to be like part of the world like as an adult like you get your people you get your you know like you tell your story you have ownership over your body it looks different and I was like and I just in hindsight as I think about this backwards I'm like oh that must have been really um 
satisfying, helpful, loving, like for people who have not seen themselves as the princesses or the prince for lots of different reasons um, within the Disney conglomerate. And I wonder, and it makes me wonder, as we tell stories of, you know, as as faith leaders in our communities, what does it mean to find the muses um, and and put people together as a amused voice, um, whether or not they belong together? Like, we can say, I don't know, maybe the women of scripture are their own version of muses telling different parts of the tale together. Um, I don't know. Is that a fair, is that something that we should be doing? I like, oh, go ahead. No, please. I, I like the idea of um, there's, a, there's a very sacred role um, called the griot and like the griot is the person who holds all of the stories and like you know the griot is the person who can tell historical stories can tell fables can tell jokes you know fairy tales um kind of holds like the the heart of the community um and it is like a distinctively like West African way to be in community like a, it and it is a role that gets um I see griots in my own community like mm-hmm. and it's funny because the word muse I usually hear muse like oh she's my muse as in the inspiration for my story but I think it's the opposite way I think the muses are the griots who help us to find ourselves in like, you know, in the lineage. Like they help us kind of figure out when we when we feel what's the point, like I'm so insignificant, I'm not part of this story, like and all of the things that one might feel living in a world that is as evil as it can be, um, racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist, like mm-hmm we turn to the griots who say, no, there have always been people like you. No, there have all like, and let me show you what that looks like. Um, and I think that's what is so compelling about the muses as they function in Hercules, because they, there could have been a way, I think, and maybe some people might feel this way. I mean, I'm open to having my mind changed, but there is something like, um, send in the entertainment, like send in the dancing girls and the ways that black women frequently feature as like outsiders who are, you know, entertaining, like the way we kind of view people like Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B, Beyonce, like as entertainment, but never really listen to what they are actually Mm. trying to say. Um, So I I think there is a way to kind of view them as caricatures, um, but I think my own posture is to have a lot of respect for the task of like telling a story, holding a story, knowing when to tell which story in what medium. Like there are some things I'm not going to tell Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but there are stories that need to be shared, you know, in sacred community. So, (laughs) yeah. So that's, I mean, it's, it's relational, which I kind of, uh, I love it. And the, the, um, the omniscient narrator, uh, it, it's fascinating. I didn't pick up it with Charlton Heston. And um, it, it, it's that's a very intentional thing on the point of the producers. Of course it is. And 
<laughs> like I reject omniscience. I sit squarely in the camp of process theology. If God knows everything, God knows the future. And if God knows the future, we have no free will. So this is all just a lark anyhow. And I don't want to participate in that world. So I reject it. But the omniscient narrator, there's such a difference between I'm going to tell you the story, how it happened. And I'm going to tell you the story, the way it needs to be told. Um, Spiff and I were talking to one of our guests previously about how we just completely messed with our friend, Jamie. Uh, we both had Google voice numbers. So we started texting him basically the same thing about like, if you or a loved one has been diagnosed with mesothelioma, you may be entitled to a settlement and acted like it was robotic. And he's like, why am I getting inundated by these, uh, texts? But the stupid way we told the story was more of a, it was saying to our friend, this is a collaboration of a story that we want to tell you. Like this is supposed to indicate something beyond the story. This is, I, I like the idea of, of storytelling having to be, this has happened not to you before and it's different, but it has happened before. And what can right. you, okay. I Sorry, that was a processing answer. Like I, <laughs> I was like, where is this going? This doesn't have. Also, also I'll take this. Been, sorry, Jamie, that was inappropriate. And we didn't mean to. <laughs> to, we, we, did to it because, we did it because we love you. Not because we were being mean. And it was kind of funny to make you crazy for about 20 minutes. That's what friends do. Uh, yeah. Uh, was there a question in there? No. I just, okay. I just wanted to I wanted to chime in because I loved the storytelling and history and myth has to come relationally. Oh, incidentally, yeah. too. Like when we do Esther at Purim and there's places to cheer and there's places to boo, it's a way to codify the ethics of the community. But okay, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I want, I want to uh, kind of switch uh, to, I think one of the most, I don't know, things that I'm curious about in Hercules that I always, as I've gotten older, have been more drawn to as characters are panic and pain. And maybe it's because uh, as I get older, <laughs> there's more pain and there's more panic. Um, but, you know, teaching kids to be able to name panic and pain and talk about those things are really helpful tools. And I wonder how we might better serve the church if we can name panic and pain as characters within both scriptural narratives, communal narratives, historical narratives, uh, as a, as a kind of a pillar source to cast new vision, right? Like how do we avoid that? Um, and are there other spaces that you guys see, um, especially as we we talk about, you know, like the expansiveness of life and how we understand the individual and communal aspects of who we are, um, that pain and panic look different for different people. And um, but to be able to name them so clearly, you know, like giving them like, oh, here's this little thing that is pain and is panic. Um, is it helpful to be able to name those things as things rather than kind of obtuse like or like larger than us uh spaces because our emotions can feel so big like does it help us to narrow these things down for the church so that we can uh manage them or is managing them part of how we have helped the erasure of that of the suffering of people i think one of the things i wish the church worldwide we're better at is naming feelings, good, bad, otherwise, whatever that might be. Um, and I think there's an illusion that like religious professionals have to be um, 
like unbothered or like unafraid. And so then, you know, people, communities take their cues from what they see, pastor or whatever, you know, the religious leader. We take our cues from leadership. Um, and I think it's important for us to say, like, I don't know and I'm scared or I even to express longing, like I wish it were different, you know, like some I'm thinking the moments of pain and panic in a pandemic, like I have been so helped by transparency and to hear people say, I've never experienced this before. Like, you know, my pastor at Concord has said, I've never lived through a pandemic before. I don't know when we're going to go back into the church. And there's something about hearing him say, I don't know when we're going back to the church <laughs> that gives me room to be like, oh yeah, because this is like a thing that's changing by the day. Like, Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I had a very different outlook on what I thought the summer was going to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, I had just started feeling comfortable, you know, coming out of my house and like maybe going to a distanced like food thing in the park. You know, I had just, <laughs> I have been in the house so long. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> but you know, with this new variant spreading, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of panic. There's a lot of like uncertainty. Like I don't, you know, and I, I was talking with a friend of mine, like just kind of like we were doing what we do and just kind of bearing witness to each other's <laughs> anxieties. And like, we kind of got to the point where we were like, oh, we're scared. Like we're, we we're at this place in our lives where like, we're supposed to be making these steps. We're supposed to be, you know, at a certain place in our career, at a certain place, you know, with whatever kind of family we want to build in the future. We're supposed to be, you know, have, as Forbes will tell us, we're supposed to have X amount of dollars in savings and we're supposed to have, you know, this, this and that. And it's like, okay, but the last year and a half really didn't count but my body is getting older. <laughs> so like, can we get a do-over? Like, can we get a, you know, can I just tap out and tag back in? You know, how are employers and like future folks that we want to work with, how are they going to review the space on our resume that's basically mm -hmm. just the pandemic? It's just, we didn't do anything. Like, or we did do things, but those are not the things that we thought we would be doing. So they're not, you know, well, but, but I, I do. Uh, oh, go, to go back to it, right? Into to the way the world was beforehand too. We're not learning from our pain. We're not learning from our panic. And we're not naming it. I don't know how many pastors are out there and we do that. But like, I think that that was what I was getting out on pain and panic was like, and I like, we don't say that I am scared from the pulpit often enough. Um, scared about whatever. And I imagine um, that for our queer siblings, being able to name the expansiveness of emotions from those spaces would be 
something that would be helpful to hear in saying as you're, you know, especially our, our young people that are coming into their sexuality and, and have heard in lots of different spaces that the church is not for them, maybe for the, those new feelings that they have, um, gay, straight, bi, trans, whatever, right? Like we don't, we don't make those spaces for any pre, you know, pubescent child to say like, I, I have a crush on so-and-so regardless of who it is as part of like God's vision for them. Um, and, and, and in the same way, we don't, you know, pastors, we like to put on the, like, we've got it under control. We'll figure it out. Maybe we don't know, but God's with us. And like, there's a real disservice. I think that we do when we sit, when we can't hold in tension that yes, God is with us and we are still scared. And it is okay. One of the biggest things this last year in the pandemic that just graded against me are the people that are like, I don't need to wear a mask because God is protecting me. Or exactly. Thank you. That is exactly because it's just, it's toxic. It's problematic. It's painful. It's harm. Like it is murdery. Um, like murdery having the quality of, or characteristic of murder. Exactly. And, uh, and faith leaders writ large, myself included, I never stood in the right in my digital pulpit and said, I, I couldn't preach. I don't have a word more expansive for you today than I am scared. Mm-hmm. Especially as those of us that live in New York and lit, you know, when it was just, it felt like the world was on fire. I too didn't leave my house for almost like 17 months. You know, it was just me in my home to the point where like you'd bring in, I, my house had like those um, posits where like I would have my deliveries of something and it would stay there for five days and we would spray it down because we just didn't know how it was spreading or what we were doing. And never once did I say I was scared and for lots of different reasons. And I think it's, it's a Hercules hero effect because we look at ourselves as pastors and faith leaders to say, we've got God on our side. We, you know, and we're, we're, we're trying to be strong for all of you people, but vulnerability is strength. And here is the, 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 the ways in which we need to name the pain and the panic and everything else. Yeah. And without like, I think the sad thing is that if we don't name that we are scared, then it will come out. Like, just because you don't admit that you're scared doesn't mean that you're like your body knows that, mm. you know, and your heart knows that. And, you know, maybe you might be snapping at people and not realizing that you're doing that. And maybe you might be fixating and micromanaging because one way that humans manage feelings of like being out of control is fixating on things we can control. So you're going back and forth on the church program or you're going back and forth on like, oh, you know, this clip art doesn't look like, you know, like you're just fixating on the things that you can control, which is a manifestation of your fear. But it it just kind of gets sublimated into something else, which then pulls us away from each other. And I think what what is so beautiful about church is that at its best, it can be a space where we have rituals and intimacy that allow us to name what's going on for us. Like one mm-hmm. of my favorite things that we do on watch, watch night service is there's testimonies and people just speak to like how they've been kept and, and where they see the power of God, where they see the power of a community. And, you know, in those testimonies, you can hear people kind of almost flirting with saying, I was scared 
or like, but quickly it shifts into, but God, which is a great, I mean, look, that is the thing that keeps me here, but I, I want us just collectively to say more frequently, yeah, I'm scared. I knew God was with me, but like, I imagine like, you know, the three boys in the furnace, like, what is their testimony? Like, we, there's a lot of triumphs that we kind of draw out of it when we're telling the story and proclaiming, you know, the fourth person in there was God and God took care of the children, but it got hot in there. I mean, it's hot right now and it's not even, I'm not even in a furnace. So I'm sure that those children were super like disoriented, worried, like feeling betrayed, scared, foolish, like, oh my gosh, I decided to follow Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus, I decided to follow, you know, the desires of my people, of my faith, of my community, Mm -hmm. and here I am, burned up anyway, like, you know, and, and that's not like a whimsical metaphor, that happens all the time, people believe in God all the time, and still suffer major, like, destruction and death and trauma so to say I'm scared is like that's like the the best thing we could do because it's it's like the one thing that's so obvious (laughs) you're obviously scared (laughs) so absolutely my uh my daughter uh, my my husband and I just adopted and um right up to the day that the adoption was finalized she was so anxious that she was not going to be adopted And we had no way to show her, to assure her, to promise. We could promise all we wanted to, but it wasn't until it was finally formalized that she would believe it. And the anxiety that we were all steeped in, like once it went through, about two weeks later, we noticed we weren't yelling at each other about the most stupid, ridiculous stuff, that we were able to listen better, that we slept better. It, it, when we don't address fear, we we really, really do a disservice to ourselves and our community. Um, I want to talk about Meg for a second, if we could, because I love Meg and I love the line, I am a damsel, I am in distress, and I'm uh, and I'm going to mar the line, and I'm taking care of it myself. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to equip people to solve their own problems? Or what does it mean to get out of the way of people who are clearly solving their own problems? I mean, so obviously I had to do my research for today, um, which consisted of me watching Hercules back to back to back to back um, for several days. And the thing that stuck out to me this go round was that Meg is, she's a prisoner. Like, and I knew that. I mean, I knew that she was a prisoner. Like I, I knew that she wasn't acting out of her own kind of desires and ideas but this time it just hit so different and um it I'm I'm really sitting with like how many choices she had available to her and how many she didn't have available to her and then the ways that she kind of defies Hades to um be in solidarity with Hercules and like the good guys and the people because Hades is well I don't know I, I kind of want to see a Disney treatment of Hades because I'm always interested in like how the villains become who they are. Um, I also want to see a story about Yzma from Emperor's New Groove because yeah. I don't think 
she's a bad person. Nope. And I think there are reasons why she got that way. So, you know, maybe on another time we'll talk about Yzma because Please love her. Please the Emperor's New Groove. Yzma is my favorite <laughs> Disney princess. Oh, my. Oh, that's interesting. Or you, could, you could do a villain's month, too. That would be really fun. Exactly. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Um, she's, she is a prisoner because she... And I feel her like she loved really hard and she mm-hmm. wanted to save the guy that, well, according to the Disney version, you know, she wants to save um, her boyfriend who eventually, you know, as people do was like, okay, thanks. And moved, like he moves on with some next chick. Um, and so she's like, she's got like trauma. She's like, I don't want to love. I'm scared to love. Like I'm like the whole song where she's like, you know, I'm not going to say it. It's too cliche. Like, you know, and the muses are like, okay, girl, like, come on. Um, and eventually she does make the choice to like be on his side and like to show up with him to the point where like he risked his life for her. And I, I do think we do have to get out of the way of, of people who are, I think getting out of the way also means recognizing that she is a prisoner and recognizing that, you know, kind of like, as we talked about before, sometimes fear manifests in ways that we might not see as fear. And um, I think before we start labeling people, you know, difficult to work with, or she's so, you know, whatever gendered kind of put downs, whatever racialized put downs, whatever queer phobic, transphobic, ableist ways that we kind of categorize people, like we have to actually see, okay, what, who is imprisoning you? Like what is imprisoning you? What is, what's the thing that's dictating all of your moves? Because if we were moving from a place of abundance and a place of ease and comfort and like you have all of your needs met you wouldn't be behaving like this so yes and when I think about going back to like zero to hero just the title in and of itself like the that who we are created in our like infancy and like just stationary is a zero until unless we are some somehow like uh I don't know, like, you know, like that the goal of our lives is to be heroic is, I guess, not, I guess, is super problematic and postures us in a way that isn't communal, isn't uh, pointed towards the actual work that God is calling us to do or our wholeness and fullness as being hero in and of themselves. It's, it should, you know, like a hero to hero sort of thing. Although I don't know, like, do we need, does the church need a hero? Does the church need a villain? Like, I think that those are questions I wrestle with often, um, as we should. And do we so often say hero villain and that's it, right? We don't nuance them well enough to say, you know, oh, Meg was on team Hades. We only see her as team Hades and we don't allow for the grace of growth. Mm-hmm. And in that, I think that I think we do that in the church all the dang time and uh, with both people in our church and people of our scripture and the effing love of our history sometimes that we won't let go and name as problematic and say, get gone like this, is, you know, and all of that. And so um, 
you know, part of what I love about this movie is that we do see some, some real character growth and some uh, just real posturing towards what the vision of God's call for our lives are, which is one of, of grace and growth. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite scenes is when he shows up to Athens, which is kind of stylized like New York. And he's like, I'm a hero. And I'm just like, okay, Andrew Yang. Like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> like, okay. You know, and all the people are looking at him like, have you ever like stopped a natural disaster? Have you ever this? Have you ever that? You know, it, it makes me think of, um, you know, the Ed Reform movement, the charter movement, you know, the idea that well-meaning white folks from the Midwest who come to work in the Bronx are heroes immediately without relationship to the community, without like proper training, without, you know, I mean, <laughs> you don't know the neighborhood. So how can you know well, the people who live in it? You can't what you're yes. not part of. Right. But but the idea, and it's it's a very Christian idea, which is why like I think um Hercules kind of I don't, I think Hercules in the Disney version is the warning to the church about, you know, what happens when you make redemption, um, salvation, a thing that one person does rather than a thing that we experience together. What happens when resurrection is just, you know, he goes from zero to hero and not, you know, what happened to the community? Like, you know, we, we could have learned so much about how the community then shifts. Like, oh, we're not afraid of, you know, the Medusa. We're not afraid of the, you know, the centaurs, like rolling through our markets. We're not afraid of these things. So now we can live in this way. But the whole movie is about, you know, him having his own Gatorade, and like his own like action figure. And like, that's what's happened to us as Christians. Like we walk around with the cross on our neck and the, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And, and people who are not Christian can so easily see through the obsession with heroes. And we're afraid to, to be honest about it and to say, oh yeah, I guess this is like kind of not this probably isn't the most holistic way to to be in community with like people in the world. <laughs> like I'm kind of behaving like a jerk um, and blaming it on Jesus. <laughs> like that's not a good book. <laughs> no, I love that. And, you know, I, I as I, I literally last night, so we're watching and, you know, prepping for watching Die Hard and Hercules in the same day is a weird uh, parallel that I had to do for this space, but that's okay. Um, but it, you know, it really was like at the end of Hercules, I was just like, and that's why we listen to black women. If you just listen to the muses, we would have been okay. They, were, they, they had the truth. They have the bops like that. They got like, like that, that was the movie that I want. I want a muses movie because I I don't really care about the Hercules because I know the Hercules because our world is saturated with white men who think they are Hercules that think that they are the gift of, you know, they're one drop away from being godly and or fully godly. And I'm just like hard pass on just like miss me with that entire narrative. Give me a, a you know, a, a beautiful 
amalgamation of, you know, black women singing truth. I'm in like, that's the Disney movie that I want. And I think that the church at its best is listening to the muses and the church at its worst embodies Hercules. Um, so speaking of yeah. which, uh, I do want to keep us on track on time uh, out of respect for things. And I'm loving this conversation and I can't wait to Candace. You've been a marvelous guest and uh, it is so exciting to get to engage with you on this. And I, I do hate to cut it short. We do have a final question, which Spiff asks and. Yeah. Um, Candace, again, thank you so much. You were one of those guests that we were like, I was like, oh, we got to ask Candace. Like she, I, I follow you online. You're such a, you're, your content brings joy and reflection and thoughtfulness and fun and all the in-betweens. And I'm really grateful that you uh, made time for us today and brought, you know, uh, a vision of Hercules into this world that I'm, uh, I'm going to sit with. But so our final question is what biblical character version or narrative story theme, whatever, are you most reminded of in Hercules? Advent, strangely. Mm. Advent, um, the idea, Advent is like, well, God, I'm so churchy because I, every season is my favorite season, but, um, Advent is one of my favorite seasons because it, it reminds me that in our midst, in our story, we are, um, excited about someone who came to earth to experience life among us and can, um, can empathize with whatever it is that we may have gone through because though God could have chosen to manifest as a fully grown human being on earth, that would have been within the realm of possibility. God, God chose to show up from the beginning from, you know, in our myth, it is um, within the womb of Mary, but, you know, in this story, you know, Hercules comes to earth, as already born and, you know, ends up on earth experiencing life as a human. And I just think it's so compelling. Um, and it's, it's something that really does keep me in the face, which is knowing that um, Jesus knows, like Jesus is, has, like he has experienced it all. Um, and you know, that's not to like the exclusion of any other character um, or any other story. And certainly, you know, Christians get really obsessed with Jesus over, you know, Old Testament, um, Hebrew Bible um, stories. And I'm trying not to like do that. Um, but for this example, I think the story of Advent and just journeying with us. And then Hercules eventually chooses to live among us, which Jesus did not choose to do. So maybe the next time I get in my prayer closet, we'll have that conversation. Because <laughs> why you left us? Why you ascended into heaven? Hercules stayed. Her Dear Jesus, be more like Hercules. What is happening? <laughs> I love that answer. Uh, Arthur, you want to you go? Yeah, uh, I'm going to say the muses are uh, the trinity. I mean, there's five of them, but. It's it's the relational storytelling dynamic, mm -hmm. the interchange, the different personas. And I, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on rejecting Charlton Heston, the, the voice of Moses, the voice of white biblical authority. Um, like, I'm going to have to sit with that for a while, but I'd rather see, and if God is so radically relational that all three parts are moving in and telling the story, 
and then the whole like we're the fourth part of the trinity and okay so i mm. spiff in the way that candace wants to be the sixth muse uh <laughs> i love that um i think i'm gonna go yeah i think i'm gonna go with uh and this may be again a little too on the nose but i'm gonna go with the nephilim of uh, genesis 6 that there is mystery to the unions of god and humanity and that we see that at its best and worst in in kind of all of these interactions between the meetings of 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 what is godly and what is human uh in in hercules's kind of larger narrative Meg and Meg's complexness and just all the ways in which there is the ability to go in and out of kind of um, divine realms and human realms. And, you know, who are the 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 giants, the Nephilim of of Genesis six amongst us today? Um, And how have we either silenced their stories or uh, erased their stories from who we are communally? Um, and I think that when we part, as this conversation has proven, when we parse out Hercules in that space, I think we see that. We see how we have uh, done a disservice to to the truth and the story of the connection of God and humanity. I love it. Uh, Candace, thank you again <laughs> for being uh, our guest today on Two on One to talk Hercules, which I say this to like all of our guests all the time. I never expected to find such theological depth and nuance and grace in a conversation about anything. And yet here it is. And it is marvelous. So thank you very, very much. I'm going to pop up our little, our, our little, our screen for our sponsor, Jeff Wonro designs. You can have the stole or pyramid or frontal or liturgical textile of your dreams at Jeff Uh, and thank you. Thank you. Uh, coming up this month on Two on One is Christmas in July. We have four episodes where we're talking about the Christmas movies Love Actually, Home Alone, The Best Man Holiday, and Die Hard. Uh, we will be with four different guests, and then in August, we're going to not do Christmas. So actually, this was technically our Advent, Candice, which is <laughs> my mind anyhow. Uh, but on behalf of Two on One, I am Arthur Stewart. I am Stephanie Kendall. You go, Candace. Who are you? I'm Candace Simpson. Yes, you are. And for that, we are thankful. And uh, we will see you next week on Two on One. See you all later. Bye.